Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Yes, we are recording. So here we are again. Do you ever accidentally get that pop-up that says this meeting is being recorded and then instinctively click leave meeting? Almost every single time. I almost just did it right then. I've never done that. Yeah. But now I'll be looking to do that. I feel like they need to switch it because the leave meeting is on the left and the got it is on the right. But I think that would help. Yes is usually on the left rather than... Well, that was poor testing on their part. They should have done more user interface testing. Wow, this is one dry opening, isn't it? And, and we're off with a really interesting conversation. Huh? <laughs> Maybe somebody has a fun story about picking up their Honda. So, so yeah, so I had told the story earlier where I had dropped off my Honda for service at the Honda dealer and Uber told me that a driver was coming to pick me up in a Honda. So every single car in the parking lot was a Honda and a guy pulled in and I thought it was my Uber driver um, because it said a silver Honda was coming. And I went to, to try to get in the, in the back door and it was locked. So I'm sitting there jiggling the handle, yelling, yelling at the oh, guy, no. open the door, open the door. Like, like, like the worst, <laughs> you know, like the worst uh, Uber riders in the world. And it was an older gentleman and he kind of turned around and he looked a little nervous and he said, are you looking for somebody? And it and it wasn't um, it wasn't my uh, Uber driver. Obviously, it was somebody else bringing their car in for service. Um, so that was a little nerve wracking. But I went to go pick the car up this afternoon and ordered an Uber from my house to take me back to the Honda dealer. And I get in the car, and I'm an Uber driver sometimes on the weekends, um, you know, just just for fun. Um, and I kind of like when when people talk to me and have a little bit of a a conversation rather than just sit there and be quiet. So, so I get in the car and I'm trying to talk to the guy and, and I'm like, yeah, so how long have you been driving Uber? Oh, you're, and you know, oh, so what, what year he's got the same car as me, Honda CRV. I'm like, oh, you like the CRV? Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it was just one, it just one word. And I just, finally, I just shut up and I realized sometimes that um, uh, sometimes it's the driver that accounts for a quiet conversation. So sometimes maybe it's me, who knows? I, I think that's, you know, it's a, it's a it's a tough social situation when you're sort of put in close contact with a stranger, and some people are more comfortable talking, some people aren't. But that's what I like about when I when I drive. I like meeting new people and having conversations with people, and it's kind of the reporter in me. And I kind of sometimes get if they're talkative, give them a little mini interview, and um, you know, and, and some and like you said, some people will will shut down immediately and just look to their screens. Other people, other people have fun with it too. And, you know, I've met, met some really interesting people. And sometimes you're just the help. And sometimes they're all drunk, you know. That too. You ever out in public and you have somebody recognize you based on your voice because of doing podcasts and the radio rather than recognizing you based on your face? Happens more than you'd think. I, I, it happens to me in Stop and Shop a lot. Well, I haven't left the house since we started doing this podcast. So I haven't. <laughs> it's not true. You were on the meeting mavens for several years. Yeah. Well, I do remember I was at a party one time and I think somebody had mentioned my name and somebody said, oh, she's here. Oh, my gosh. Where, can you introduce me like I'm some sort of freaking celebrity? Wow, you've made it. 
Z and I think. That's wow. right. Wow, can you I hear would... that jet coming in right low over my house? Yes. You're on the flight path. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was a gulf. That was huge, that one. Anyways. So call the airport say, don't you know who I am? Z. <laughs> <laughs> And I think I'm the ankle. Speaking of, I don't know, this is kind of off topic, but did you guys see Peter Booty's post? He was up flying, got a 13 year old kid, and they hit a bird. They, it was like, it was bouncing. Yes, I saw that. was sad. They had an osprey. Osprey, it was an osprey. Wedge the wheel uh, between the wheel and the strut. It was like, whoa, he's lucky that that thing didn't take down the whole plane, honestly. Yikes. Anyways, anyways, <laughs> here we are again. And that was uh, up at the front of the uh, of the podcast with the story about the Honda was Bill Sutton and uh, say hello Bill hello Bill hello Nat I'm Bill Sutton I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group and obviously a comedian <laughs> and we also have Brendan J O'Reilly with us hi Brendan how you doing hi everybody I'm Brendan I'm the features editor and Joe Shaw's with us once again haven't seen Joe in a, a while hello the and Ed Hinkle yes I am back Back in the saddle, Joe Shaw, executive editor, Express News. You've been taking an awful lot of vacations, Mr. Shaw. Just put a point there. I gotta burn some days, Annette. You know, the yeah. last the last year or so, I didn't didn't really get a chance to take any. It's time to to get a few in. I'm not going to be able to take any now till probably Labor Day. Just, right? just remember that when I start putting in for my time. And <laughs> my name's Annette Hinkle, and I'm the Arts and Living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is the acerbic Steve Coates who is um, a reporter with us. Do you have an official, more official title than just reporter, Steve? I like reporter. Do you like that? Yeah. All right, well, that's what you are. Simple. You, and you and you cover the waterfront, right? I cover. Wordsmith. No, I don't. No, I don't like, yeah. I'm a newspaper man. <laughs> we, make, we make Steve cover more difficult stories like mayoral races, which is what we're talking about today. So um, this is sort of an overarching, it's a very odd mayoral season here on the East End between Sag Harbor Village and Southampton Village. We had two fairly contentious races where it got a little, got a little testy. Um, a lot of factions took up, not necessarily arms, but they were definitely some some words flying back and forth. So I thought it would be kind of interesting to talk just a little bit about the changing nature of village elections. And you know, sometimes those they're barely on the radar screen and other times they're front and center and this one in particular. So I thought it would be interesting maybe to talk about these two villages and, and what, what was going on this year that made these such interesting races and why people were paying particular attention and what some of the issues were. It's worth noting too, Annette, that, that this comes on the heels of East Hampton which uh, East Hampton Village, its last mayoral race was also sort of unusual um, that, that it, there was a lot of money spent in that race. And it was also much more contentious than, than the mayoral races tend to be. So this is sort of a, uh, it's, it's a trend. And certainly this year with Southampton and, and Sag Harbor Village, uh, the races in those two villages became much more hotly contested to use the phrase we like to toss around a lot. Um, than we normally see with the with the mayoral races and 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 we had an editorial about this just recently and and talked about the fact that there really needs to be a change in the way people approach these races. I think this is just a simple matter of national political uh, national political strategies filtering all the way down to the local level, and it just doesn't fit. It's it's a mayoral race. It is not a race for for even a, you know, a state office 
it, these, these are races that really are about neighbors running against neighbors and to lose that in the conversations is, is just a shame. I mean, I, I just think that's, a sh that's the shame of it. Yeah. I mean, there's such small geographic areas, which I think is part of the issue is that you have a very limited pool of um, candidates that you can draw from, especially in Sag Harbor, which over the years you've seen has become more of a more and more of a second homeowner village. So, you know, you walk around Sag Harbor in the off season and the majority of the houses are dark. Um, so I don't, you know, you don't have a huge pool of applicants to choose from when it comes to picking candidates. And you also don't have a gigantic um, base of, of voters generally, like they usually tend to be very small, but the villages themselves function as much larger, you know, that's the center of the economy for North Haven and Noyak and even parts of, you know, where I live up in Northwest Woods and East Hampton. So I think that's what's also interesting about mayoral races is it's a very small uh, uh, body of voters that select who's going to run it, but um, you have a much larger area of residents who um, have no real say in who's running the, vill the villages, even though it really is their hometown as well. Well, that's one of the things, Steve, I, that, that I was certainly true in Southampton Village, but it was true in Sag Harbor too, is the, the money that was spent by people outside the actual campaigns, right? I mean, we, we saw outside money, quote unquote, in mayoral races in, in East Hampton, Sag Harbor, Southampton, and all the races, but you certainly saw it in Sag Harbor, right? I don't, I, I'm not privy to uh, where the ad uh, dollars come from, Joe. That's why I'm a reporter. <laughs> but um, yeah, there, there were there were definitely some. Uh, I mean, and um, and there were, I mean, there were, uh, to speak to Annette's comment earlier, there were people living in Noyak who said that they wish they, you know, how, how do I vote in Sag Harbor? Well, you start by moving there, you know? I mean, it's the um, first question or the first answer. You, you also saw in Southampton Village, I, I thought it was super interesting and, and the, you know, the, the race this year was, was marked largely by, by this whole police or defund the police battle or whatever. And you saw a, a lot of, you saw the um, Suffolk County PBA super PAC pour, pour a lot of money um, in, into the race. Although I don't know that they, you know, said they were supporting one candidate or the other, but, but they were just, you know, with, with the, with the signs and they were paying for these, these obnoxious ads I'll, I'll correct what I said earlier, obnoxious ads making accusations against, um, you know, incumbent mayor Jesse Warren and, um, you know, implying that he was going to get rid of the police department, um, you know, and, and that type of thing. And, and I think to, to have that special interest put in that much money into a race was was super interesting. I don't know that I've ever seen that in a village race before. And, you know, the, the, the PBA super PAC, that's the, they're known as Long Island Law Enforcement Foundation, um, they put out that mailer that went out in the village that was really over the line in a lot of ways. Um, it involved a, local, a, a, a guy who's got a, a, an artist studio in Southampton Village, his name's Holbert Waldrop. And it brought up some allegations from back in 2005. Um, and Mr. Waldrop now is, is an artist and he's, he's uh, a little more grown up than he was back then, I think, you know, back then, I think he, he liked to sort of present himself with an image of being a, a, a little bit uh, edgy, but um, none of this, the, the mailing made the point, they doctored a photo putting him with uh, the mayor, Jesse Warren, and they said that Jesse appointed him to oversee the police department. 
which is ridiculous. Um, Mr. Waldrop was on, uh, he was actually part of a group that was meant to respond to the police report that was done um, and to provide some feedback. And he was put on that panel for a reason. He had had interactions with the Southampton Village Police. He is a black man and he felt like he was singled out for that reason uh, for his race. And, and that's exactly the kind of person you want on a police reform committee. That's where he was. But the mailer really went over the line in a lot of ways. And, and um, that that would made this race unusual, no question. Would one of you want to just kind of explain quickly what the Southampton race, talk a little bit about the two candidates that we had and, and maybe even the trustees? So it was incumbent mayor, uh, Jesse Warren, who was first elected to his first term two years ago. And two years ago, he defeated then mayor, Michael Irving. Um, Mr. Irving, um, dissatisfied with uh, with Mayor Warren's performance over the last two years, he said, decided to run again to get his seat back to to quote, you know, bring bring order back to to the village um, or whatever. Um, and on the trustee side, the two incumbent trustees, um, Polaro and Parrish were running to retain their seats. They were first elected a few years ago, and they were beaten this year by Roy Stevenson, who's a toy store owner in the village and has also served on one or several regulatory boards in the village. And Robin Brown, who's, who's someone who's been involved sort of globally in a lot of initiatives, but but hasn't really been that active locally. And this was sort of her first attempt to get involved. And they were we, we, we had a conversation about this. They weren't really the mayor's slate per se, but, but they sort of ran uh, in conjunction with the mayor. And uh, certainly they seem to have enjoyed um, some- His coattails. Yeah, exactly. Well, they each individually had their own parties, right? Correct. But then they were running ads concurrently. Like I remember seeing ads that the top of the page was vote for this candidate from this party. The bottom of the page was vote for this candidate from this party. It looked like one full page ad that had just been designed to look like two half page ads. And then at one point, I believe that both candidates and the mayor started to run ads where they were all together in the same photo. So even though they each had their own independent parties, uh, by the end of that election, it very much had the sense of them being running mates. Huh. So what do we think the real defining issues were? I mean, I, I know it seemed like there was a lot of um, a lot of new voters who were registered to um, turn out for this election. And I'm guessing that most of those voters obviously turned out for Jesse Warren. So I imagine that his side perhaps had a campaign to register a lot of new people. Is my it seemed it seemed like he did that two years ago, too. And that may be part of how he won two years ago was by registering new voters in the village, people that hadn't voted in the in the village. There were some some questions la last time and, and this time about some of those newly registered voters, whether they were actually village residents or not, or you had questions about five people from one household, you know, registering or people who were registered in a different state, but also registered in, in, in Southampton. But I, I think for the most part, um, those seemed like unfounded concerns. Um, but he, he, Mayor Warren, definitely his campaign um, was was very active in getting out the vote and getting people registered to vote, and it was a very successful strategy two years ago and 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 now. And and I think to complain about that, um, I mean that's that's the process. That's that's how how democracy works. Is 
people people in the village vote and if you get more people to vote for you than the other people than the other side then then you win that's how it works and i think michael irving may be challenging some of those uh voter registrations but nothing has been overturned and i doubt um certainly the 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 difference in the in the vote totals won't be affected significantly i mean uh, it was almost a two-to-one victory for mr warren so um yeah i mean that's been sort of the whisper for a long time is that uh jesse warren has gotten a lot more people on the voting rolls that maybe don't deserve to be there. But there are ways to challenge that. Uh, to my knowledge, nobody's registration has been effectively challenged so far um, with the with the necessary, there's a procedure to go through to do that. Um, Michael Irving has said he's doing that. Um, but it doesn't, I think Jesse Warren really did, Bill's dead on that two years ago, that's how he won this race. He went out signed up a lot of new voters and he got a lot of a lot of young people involved as well and and i think that that was really the key and i think those votes then carried over to roy stevenson and robin brown i think they both uh benefited from that and, and i guess we we give mr irving the opportunity to make that challenge and we'll see what happens with mm -hmm. with the board of elections and, and the challenge but but at the same time does that you know, we're, we're talking about how, how the local races are mimicking national politics and how does that sound like the last presidential, you know, uh, election where where everybody's talking about voter fraud and, you know, and, and that's, you know, the, the election isn't valid because of voter fraud. And I'm not I'm not uh, portraying Mr. Irving in, in that camp, obviously, but it's just odd that similarities. It's the there. echoes from the national level. I think that's what, sure. what it is. And and it's also worth pointing out a lot more votes cast in this race than you do. So I was curious like if, about the issue. Was it the police, was it the village police and whether or not they're paid too much? Was that really the issue? Was it the algal bloom at uh, Lake Aguam or, you know, what, what do you think, you know, how did the, these elections come down to side and what the big issues were that seemed to motivate people? In Southampton Village, I think the two big issues that benefited Jesse were the 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 um, things that have been done in Lake Agawam, which I do think he deserves some credit for. Uh, he helped to to get the Lake Agawam Conservancy going, and I think um, he deserves some some uh, credit for that. And I think also Jesse was very active and visible during the pandemic, and was out there getting masks to people. Um, he was very. Uh, proactive during the pandemic's, uh, the village's response. I think those things mattered. I think the police thing ended up being a little bit of a red herring. And I'm not sure um, whether you guys think it may have actually backfired. Um, I feel like the police, um, by being so aggressive with the yard signs, save our police and all that, and, and the mailings may have actually turned off some voters. I, I know that I saw at least one person very upset on social media about the Save Our Police signs. And, you know, it's not that these people are anti-police, but they are anti-making things up, right? So you had a mayor out there who never once said, I want to disband the police department. People thought that was his plan. People suggested that that's what he was planning on doing eventually, but he never once said it. And then you had a police department out there saying, they're going to dismantle our police department. And that really did rub some voters the wrong way based on uh, what I was viewing um, social media village residents. And it's 
what's happened on the national level too, right? People have conflated, we want to do a little bit of police reform, and they've conflated that with, we wanted to fund the police or we want to abolish the police. And most voters are sophisticated enough to know that a little bit of police reform is not the same as defund the police. I think you're absolutely right, Brendan, but let's not forget also that the Southampton Village PBA voted a vote of, of no confidence against the mayor a year ago because of some of his practices and policies. I think even before the 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 defund the police movement, as, as far as um, you know, not hiring dispatchers, um, and there were some some other issues involved too. So so while I think it took on this overarching defund the police theme, I think a lot of it had to do just with the current police department's dissatisfaction. And the mayor has been openly hostile towards the police department in a lot of ways. And I think that's a fair characterization. I mean, and, and the, the police chief, uh, Tom Cummings, has said that he hasn't even sat down face to face with the mayor to discuss any of this stuff. Meanwhile, the, the mayor has been openly critical of the chief in public, and he's had this uh, report done that that took a look at the police department and suggested changes. So there, there, was, a, there was a lot going on with the police department, and I think it's going to continue. Uh, but I just, it that that side never really caught fire. I don't think it ever really, um, there wasn't enough support for it. It didn't get enough votes for, for Mr. Irvin. Wow. Do we want to talk a little bit about Sag Harbor too and what's going, what was going on there and the different candidates who ran? Um, Steve, you want to jump in and talk about that race? Yeah, um, there's a lot of, lot of parallels, but they're, but, but they're not really parallel either. Um, in, in Sag Harbor, I think, um, I think the, the the main issue came down to people believed that Kathleen Mulcahy was somehow responsible for the purchases of property that are going on in relation to the Bay Street Theater proposal. And Kathleen's the current mayor. Right, the, the current mayor. And she happens to be a real estate agent in her day job. You know, but she said she was not involved. There's no evidence that she was involved in any of this. And yet people really got rubbed the wrong way by the, the way Bay Street, the Friends of Bay Street Theater came in with Adam Potter, their, their mouthpiece. Do you think that was a, a key factor, Steve? you think it swung, swung votes? I think, it was, I, think, I think it was a very big factor. I think another factor, um, you know, I, I, think, I, I think people in the village felt like they were losing their village and that somehow the mayor was on the other side. Um, and I, I think another thing that um, that was not that clear to me, and I, I didn't hear it verbalized as much, but I've since heard that it was an issue was the the paid parking proposal. People really got hot about the fact that the that the uh, that the mayor and um, her administration was pushing for paid parking. Although Aiden Korish, who was the trustee who proposed the paid parking program, he had the highest number of votes. I wonder if it was also kind of a backlash, like people who supported the previous um, mayor, Sandra Schroeder, um, were not happy when um, Kathleen Mulcahy won the mayorship two years ago and that they sort of joined forces. Well, yeah, there was there was a bridge there between Jim LaRocca. Jim LaRocca was named to the board by by uh, by, by Sandra. He, he enjoyed um, uh, close ties with her. Um, when he ran as mayor this year, um, he was able to get Tom Gardella, who is a trustee and who's deputy mayor under Mulcahy, to, 
to support him. But he only won by what, 20 votes? Um, yeah, uh, Jim won by 22 votes, yeah. And you know, it's interesting because we didn't have anything as, as far as say the PBA flyer in Sag Harbor, but there were advertisements, um, some that said that, hey, you know, uh, the Rocca was on the village board when the, um, the uh, when Jay Bialski was allowed to build these three large condos as part of the, the deal that got the village water, uh, uh, Steinbeck Waterfront Park. Um, Jim LaRocca says, well, I was not on the planning board that approved those things or the ZBA that approved the variances. Um, and then you have people saying, well, you know, the, the mayor was responsible for paving the way, et cetera. I mean, but you also had some fighting in the last week or two of the campaign um, where Mr. LaRocca lashed out. At, he said the people were saying he was a Trump supporter. And I actually, I never heard anyone say he was a Trump supporter. I did hear a few people say that he ran a Trump-like campaign and that he um, said that only he could fix things and you know, sort of proposed some pretty broad statements about what he would do. He's not going to build a wall around Sag Harbor, is he? <laughs> no. <laughs> He's going to make Noyak pay for it. Right. Right. <laughs> Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Steve, in, in, in your article on election night, uh, didn't you write that there were some candidates who were refusing to look at each other or shake hands with each other? Well, yeah, they're, they're um, uh, Bob Plum and and and. Trustee Bob Plum and now Mayor Mayor Elect Jim LaRocca have had exchanged words on a couple occasions, and they had they had a, a tense standoff at, when when Mr. Plum came over to congratulate Mr. LaRocca, and it was weird. Is it just me, or does it feel like there were a lot more concrete issues in Sag Harbor than 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 in Southampton, or is it just that there's so much more going on in Sag Harbor lately that it appears that way? I feel like there's one really concrete issue in Sac Harbor, and I, I feel like maybe the way that this election turned out largely hinged on the timing of Bay Street Theater announcing its new plans. Yeah. Um, you know, basically they have bought the 7-Eleven property, the 7-Eleven was moved out, that building is being vacated, and Bay Street Theater has these plans to build a, a brand new theater in that space. Um, but this um, this gentleman, and um, Adam Potter, who is head of the Friends of Bay Street organization that is doing all that came on a little bit strong, I would say, and sort of made a lot of people nervous because he was snapping up other properties around there. So I feel like the timing just was not fortuitous for Kathleen's campaign in that it was, um, you know, linking the Bay Street proposal to Kathleen's inability to control development, right or wrong, you know, whether that was her purview or not. And like you said, Jim LaRocca was on the board when all of this stuff went through as well. But I feel like it was an unfortunate timing for her in terms of being able to win re-election because Kathleen Mulcahy was linked either fairly or unfairly to the Bay Street Theater designs and development and what felt like a land grab. And that, um, I, is that is that accurate, do you think? Absolutely. I think so, yeah. And I think that it wasn't so much Jim LaRocca who did that, but his supporters did. And um, 
I, I, you know, for what it's worth, uh, Kathleen Mulcahy said over and over again that she supported Bay Street's purchase of the um, uh, of the Water Street Shops building um, and would support a theater there. But she but she said that that theater would be approved by the the planning and Z, uh, and ZBA and, and ARB um, and not by her. Um, she never said she would support the gargantuan uh, uh, proposal that they unveiled in April. Um, you know, and, and another issue in this, uh, before I forget, is the um, um, Mayor Mulcahy a year ago wrote a letter supporting Bay Street's purchase of the, the National Grid gas ball parking lot property. Um, and that became another campaign issue. Um, she said she did so only after National Grid said it was no longer interested in leasing the property, but wanted to sell it, and that the village board had decided they could not afford the asking price. And um, when that came out this spring that she had written this letter, uh, Mr. LaRocca seized on it. And it's, um, it's kind of interesting though, because at, before he heard about that, you know, he, he said when she wrote that letter that she had, was giving away an important parking lot but before he knew about that letter, he had proposed that the gas ball property be a site for Bay Street. So it's it's getting kind of you know muddled, muddled, right. you know. And was there? Do you feel, Steve, that there was a similar effort in Sac Harbor as there was in Southampton to register a ton of new voters in the village? I, I didn't. I never heard any any talk of that at all. Mm, uh, but maybe more campaigning was pretty heavy. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Am, am I being Pollyannish? When, you know, I don't want to clutch my pearls here or anything, but I just feel like the the level of discourse, um, just in general with these local races, has just dropped so significantly in the last couple of years. And that's you know, I'm not sure that's I make that statement, but then I immediately start to wonder if that's actually true. Um, local races get hot. Politics get hot. Um, you know, we made the point in an editorial recently that this goes all the way back to the earliest parts of this country, you know, the, the earliest days of this country, the colonial times, political ads were, were very strong and politics were knock, you know, knock down, drag out fights. But I, am I wrong to say that I feel like these village races and to a degree the town races as well really should show some more decorum and respect? It's about neighbors running against neighbors. I think they maybe reflect a changing demographic in time too. I feel like, you know, just like, you know, there's always that thing where everybody's, you know, all the, everybody who's lived here for 40 years is selling their property and moving to North Carolina. I feel like this COVID thing is sort of the next step of that. You know, the next wave of people are getting ready. Like, I can't take it anymore. It's too crowded. There's too many newcomers. They're tearing down the old houses or, you know, I feel like there's like a big shift with the whole, the stressor coming to Sag Harbor and I specifically Sag Harbor and I think Southampton as well and I feel like that those kinds of time frames is when you start getting more contentious village races when the villages start feeling new pressures or different pressures than they had in recent years I wonder how I wonder how much um the social media culture has to do with that too. And I think you can, you can a lot. certainly some of, some of the national politics, some of those trends, I think were, were a result of people feeling, feeling free to just, you know, uh, let it all fly on, on social media. You certainly saw that um, in Southampton and, and Sag Harbor this year, you saw a lot of that 
that disruption on on Facebook and, and other platforms um, going into the elections where where people were were pretty pretty strong in, in their beliefs to put it you know to put it lightly um, and, and I wonder you know I think it's just a changing culture overall and that's you know again it's that that um, local mimicking the national where that's that's just filtered down that people people feel like they can just um, they can be outrageous. Well, people are so much more comfortable now mouthing off about politics than they were just a few years ago. Sure. I think that's it. Absolutely. I think it's filtered down. And I, and I, and I, I think you see that. And, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned social media. Jesse Warren in Southampton Village used social media quite a lot in his campaign. And um, I, think, I think that added to the the uh, first of all i think it added to the effect in, in in his campaign and in his governance over the last two years he has he has seen social media um as as his platform to to continue to get his message out and, and to talk about his achievements and what he's been doing and you know um whereas in years ago um you know lawmakers might have um come to local newspapers and 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 other and other forums um, he's he's been able to do that outright uh, immediately, and and so have his critics. By the and way. so have his critics. Sure. How old is Jesse Warren? He's pretty a uh, pretty young mayor. So yeah, he's in his thirties. Yeah. He's he is the youngest mayor I think in Southampton Village history. And as you support, as you as you noted, Joe, he's got a lot of youthful supporters who have who have helped him along the way, and that's all the social media generation too. So any other any other um like things that you can like as far as the supporters, <clears throat> is there a general did a general understanding of, of who they were? Did they tend to be newcomers to the area or were they people who just happened to be young who grew up here? Or did they happen to be, you know, the, the wealthier people that live around Lake Agawam? You know, I just wondered if there was a, a demographic that seemed to really be um, driven to, to Jesse. It's interesting because, and I think it, it's funny because we, when you talk about the, the, the raise in stress level sort of brings this out. I think that's all very true. And, but it's interesting that most of the, the, the harshest conversation is taking place among locals who have been here for a very long time. They're the ones that are really involved in the back and forth on this in advertisements and on social media and in letters to the editor and all that stuff. Uh, it's not newcomers who are doing that so much. It's, it's the, the old locals that are doing it. Um, South, I think Sag Harbor Village was a different race. Southampton Village, I think there were some breaks, but it's very complicated to try and parse um, Meadow Lane versus Lake Agawam folks versus young people versus there, there are a lot of different factions in Southampton Village, and I think they broke in different ways. I think there are some patterns there, but I'm not sure I'm comfortable trying to sum it up uh, off the top of my head, it's, there there are clear divides in Southampton Village as there have been for years. But I think the la I think I think Jesse Warren has sort of drawn clear lines in a lot of ways between those divides. But in two races, he's also won two two elections. So it's you know suggests that he's got the numbers. I, I think it's interesting too that that both sides. Um, claimed that there was a shadow government working on the opposite side. Southampton Village has always had a reputation for having people working behind the scenes to make things happen. And I think there's some truth to that on all sides. 
I think there's a lot of whispering going on and anybody who's close to the village knows those conversations happen. But uh, I don't know that there's anything untoward in, in any of that. It's just the way small town politics works. So I think what's interesting from what I just seem to notice in Sac Harbor is that the um, the two camps broke in a really different way. In the past, I felt like it was often like the the longtime born and raised types in Sag Harbor sort of versus the newer comers um, who maybe came out from the city and the cultured crowd, you know. But this race, I felt like those people who the newer comers were sort of divided between Loraka and Kathleen Mulcahy. I feel like um, normally they would have been on the same side, but I feel like there was a split there and largely over the Bay Street Theater um, thing. But I, I felt like there were some new realignments of people who used to be on the same side that maybe were not at the selection. Does that sound accurate to you, Steve? It's, you know, it's weird though, because um, as far as the mayoral race, yes. Um, and granted, there are only three trustees, two incumbents uh, who were, were, were vying for two seats. But Aiden Korish and Bob Plum, who ran as pretty much as a ticket with Mayor Mulcahy, they were easily reelected. So there was support for the kinds of programs that, that they have worked on. I mean, and, and I would assume that means the effort to, to um, rezone the waterfront, the, I, I guess the parking as well, um, you know, efforts to, to, to um, uh, update the building department and its practices, that kind of stuff. But there was clearly there was clearly a divide between Mulcahy and and Laraca, and that um, that's split fairly evenly. Um, Kathleen Mulcahy won uh, office fairly comfortably last time around, right? Yeah, she won. You know, she won in a huge, huge. I don't remember the numbers, but it was it was uh, wasn't close, right? It was not close at all. Um, in fact, all three won by huge margins in 2019. So I, you know, I'm curious. So, so Jim LaRocca was a trustee, and now he is a mayor. Do, do the, does the mayor have that much more power? Like, is there are there things he's going to be able to do as mayor that he wasn't able to do as a trustee? Well, the mayor sets the agenda, so I mean, pretty much uh, can control that. But what's what's going to be interesting here is that. Um, you had a kind of a three-two board with Mulcahy, Korish, and Plum holding a majority over Laraca and Gardella, Tom Gardella. And now with Mayor Mulcahy off the board, it's two-two, and Mr. Laraca gets to name his replacement. And um, there's been some names tossed around about. I won't mention them, um, but he hasn't divulged who he's going to name yet. But he will effectively it's, it's not going to be joe shaw is it <laughs> of course i don't know that he would serve i will decline if if elected i i will not serve that brings up an interesting point there's you know you really do have a fairly i mean sac harbor does not have a, a lot of a ton of year-round residents despite how bustling it is in the summer um so i don't know what do we think about that whole idea of um you know i know there's been talk in the past about trying to expand the borders of the village is that something that we see happening or even possible um, in any village. I'm not talking just about Sag Harbor here, but is that a desirable thing? Well, I could tell you that in Southampton Village a few years ago when there was a, a new condo development, Bishop's Pond, it was done on the border. So it was half 
you know, what might be considered Tuckahoe or unincorporated Southampton and half Southampton Village. So as the developer, they didn't want to have a condominium association where it's half under one jurisdiction, half under another jurisdiction. So they actually had the village annex the other half of Bishop's Pond so it could all be whole. There were some other things going on then where the developer was actually the father-in-law of the mayor of the village. So I don't know if everybody else... Um, you know, would have that interest in being annexed by the village. When your son-in-law is the mayor, you're probably more interested in joining the village uh, than you would be otherwise. But, you know, do areas of Noyak actually want to be annexed by Sag Harbor Village? What is that going to do for their taxes, which is what it comes down to, I would say 99% of the time, oh, you want me to become an incorporated village? Are my taxes going to go up or down? They're going to go up? Okay, forget it. And, and you also have got North Haven in the way so that like a place, for instance, like, like Bay Point, the neighborhood um, near Long Beach, which would sort of be a natural addition to Sag Harbor is between Sag Harbor and North Haven, which is itself an incorporated village. And then you've got the Mount Misery neighborhood south of the village. I mean, that's a possibility. I can't imagine. I mean, it's probably pretty difficult to do that too, right? Because you have to probably go to the state if you're going to do that. I would think justify why you want to expand the borders and yeah, well with the condos it was much easier because there are a bunch of empty brand new buildings on a former i think it was a composting facility so when you have one owner of all those condos before they get sold to individuals you could say hey i want to be in the village when you talk about an entire neighborhood you know you probably only need a few holdouts to prevent that neighborhood from joining the village like getting public water on your street yeah. and also like will village residents will they want to share their village beach are they going to want to share their village amenities but i guess the other question too do we feel like um some of these smaller villages have enough of a year-round population to field um candidates for public office i mean i'm thinking north haven is very small and sagaponic you know as a village east hampton village has the same southampton village Sag harbor i mean so far Sag harbor has managed to find i mean not only the village board but the you know, the planning board and the ZBA and the ARB, I mean, it's hard to find people who, you know, can fill all these roles. Yet they do live in the pretty much year round. I mean, a lot of the, even the year rounders, you know, get out of town in January and February. Well, do you remember when Southampton Village was entertaining the thought of having planning board, ZBA and ARB members who were not village residents? Yeah, they, they wanted to reach outside. And I, I think that's a bad precedent, honestly. Yeah, they wanted, they wanted, professionals in the fields, right? So when is the um, swearing-in date for the next slate of elected officials in the villages? Well, in Sag Harbor, uh, um, uh, Mr. LaRocca is going to be sworn in on July 6th uh, at, at uh, Steinbeck Waterfront Park. So. All right. Well, there we go. I believe Southampton is the same day. Uh, the, the holiday gets involved in there because, because of the 4th. It pushes it back a couple of days. Although they could, they could technically be be sworn in on the first, I think, if they wanted to be. It's worth noting too that we we really didn't make this point, but the Southampton Village Board now, uh, Mark Parrish and Andrew Pilaro were sort of the opposition party to the mayor before, and now they've been voted off the board. So um, Mayor Warren really has a village board of colleagues now. So it should be an interesting second term. Although I, I would argue that, that um, at least um, at least Ms. Brown is, is untested. Um, and Mr. Mr. Stevenson mm -hmm. seems to have um, an independent streak in him as well. So we'll see 
We'll see how it shakes out. All right. So are any of us moving to the village so we can run for mayor next time around? Sure. Could I borrow several million dollars? Yeah. That's the ironic thing. It's all of us poor people that work at newspapers don't live in any of these villages. I'm not going to do it driving Uber, I'll tell you that. Oh. <laughs> that might really be a good way to get votes. Either that or flee town when you get caught embezzling or whatever. <laughs> you know that's how Edgar Allan Poe died. What, embezzling? Driving Uber? No, do you know, do you know about this? This is, this is one of the theories, at least, that in Baltimore, they used to they used to have gangs that would round people up and make them go, they would get them drunk and make them go vote over and over again in different precincts. And then they would just dump them on the street. And that Edgar Allan Poe was found, now he had substance abuse issues to begin with, but there is a, there is a theory that he was, he was commandeered by one of these groups of people and roughed up and said, cause he, he was actually found, he wasn't wearing his own clothes. He was wearing somebody else's clothes and they think maybe that was so that he could vote more than one time, that kind of thing. Uh, we thought you our know. elections were fun. Yeah, exactly. This isn't new. These more things change, the more they stay the same, right? So get drunk and go vote often. Get drunk and go vote. <laughs> Several times, vote often. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.